You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning. So in this uh, conversation that we've had about prayer, um, I, I've been thinking about prayer a lot over the past few weeks and months. And as, uh, as many of you know, I've, uh, I've begun uh, the new cycle of Dafyomi, which is a, uh, a, an, an endeavor to try to learn a page of Talmud a day, um, with the uh, ultimate goal of uh, uh, studying the whole Talmud over the course of seven and a half years. And so I'm in the first tractate of, uh, of the Gemara right now, which is tractate Brachot, is a tractate dealing with, with prayer and issues of prayer. Uh, so it's very suiting um, uh, to share uh, some of that uh, with, with, with you today. And, um, and uh, I imagine that uh, periodically, um, over the course of our learning, we'll, we'll bring in more of a, a Mesechat Brachot, because um, it just has uh, um, just some wonderful things to offer. And there's one passage in particular that I wanted to share with you this morning. And in doing that, I, wanted, I, I want to talk about the passage, but, but first, I want to do an exercise. Okay, so let me introduce the, uh, the, the package, then I'll introduce package, the passage, introduce the exercise, and then we'll, uh, then we'll have a conversation. So the passage is as follows. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, Brachot, uh, page 7a, top of the page. And uh, and we're taught, Amar Rabbi Yochanan. It's it's in the uh, um, uh, outlined box there in the Chinese newspaper that you have in front of you. Um, right. So um, so it's in the box up up there at the top. That's the that's the one piece of this text that we're going to look at. So Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Yosi. Rabbi Yochanan taught in the name of Rabbi Yosi, Menayin Shahakadosh Baruch Hu Mitpalel. Where do we know that God prays? That's the premise of the passage. God prays. And now they're going to have a proof text. Where do we know that God prays from? Okay? So that's the thing that I want us to think about, is the fact that God prays. It's kind of a radical idea. Right? You know, we know that, it, that part of the human experience is, is to pray. I mean, some people say that it's, that it's one of the defining characteristics of being human is the capacity for prayer, the capacity for trying to transcend ourselves, to reach out for something greater and something other. Right? Other animals don't do that. The humans do. And so there's something fundamentally human about prayer, but we don't, I think, often think about God praying. To whom does he pray himself? Ah, so that's a good question. To whom does he pray? And what's the what's the second question? What does he pray? Right? Who does God pray to? And what does God pray? There's a third question also that I'm not going to share with you yet. We'll get to the third question. Both are good questions. So, but they don't ask that question first. The first question is: Is there a biblical verse that we can prove that God uh, prays? And so they have one. Shneamar vehaviotim el hard kodshi vesimachtim bebeit tefilati. Which is a, a beautiful passage, by the way. And there's also a uh, um, uh, a, a beautiful melody to that passage that uh, uh, it's it's repeated a couple of times in the uh, High Holiday liturgy. If you come to the chapel service, we'll be singing a beautiful melody to to this passage. Um, but it means, um, and I will bring them to my holy mountain, and uh, they will rejoice in my house of prayer. 
Right? Um, and, then he, and then the verse goes on, Ki beiti beit because my house will be called a house of prayer to all peoples. But the rabbis aren't interested in that second half. They're interested in the fact that God calls, presumably the temple, Beit Tefilati, my house of prayer, or the house of my prayer. And they say, Tefilatam lo nemar, right? God should have said, their house of prayer, or the house of their prayer, right? Because it's the people's prayer, after all, that happens in the temple. So why does God say, Tefilati, and not Tefilatam? Why does God say, uh, I can't make this stuff up, this is the rabbis of the Gemara, not me, right? So the, um, so the, the rabbi's question is, why does the verse say, the house of their, why is the verse say the house of my prayer instead of the house of their prayer? Should we talk about the Israelites' house of prayer? Mikan And that's the biblical source for the notion that God prays, because God acknowledges that God has a house of his own prayer or her own prayer. Maybe it means to be prayed to him. Okay, so that is uh, certainly, I think, the. the there's, there are two levels of looking at the text. Right? One is the pshat, and one is the drash. The pshat of the verse, the basic contextual meaning of the verse, is clearly that it's talking about a house in which people worship God. Right? That's not how the rabbis are reading it, though. The rabbis of the Talmud choose to read it in the, in the drash way, in midrash, which is to, which is to emphasize the, um, the, the peculiar nature of the word tefilati, my prayer, right? and say that it's a house where... God has a prayer. Right? So there are, there are different ways of reading the verse. This is how the rabbis choose to read the verse um, uh, and, and derive this notion from it that God prays. That's not what I want to focus on, though. Let's, let's, let's adopt their premise that God prays. Just for a minute, let's entertain this thought exercise that God prays. And then they ask the question, right? the second question. They don't ask who he prays to, although that's inherent in the question that they ask. They ask, my matzle. What does he pray? What is God's prayer? Right, now, before we get to the Gemara's answer to that question, I want to ask you that question. What do you think, if, if you were God, right, what would you pray? What would your prayer be? Hold on one second. Hold on one second. I, I, lo- I love the enthusiasm. But I want to invite, this is why I brought paper and pencil, if people process better writing than speaking, um, I, I want to invite you to, uh, to, to jot down a, a, a note. And before people jump in with their, with their own thoughts, I want to give people who are writing a, a minute to, uh, to, to write down their, their thought or their response so that they're not prejudiced by what other people say. So just, hold, just give us a, a, a moment to, to do this. Okay, so who wants to start? So God prays that uh, that the children of Israel, not other people, the children of Israel should follow God's commandments and, and the Torah. Okay, good. Other ideas? That all my kindlers learn to get along. Like what mm. he was saying, and all my t- so God prays that all my children learn to get along. Like okay, it's a very different kind of prayer, right? Then, uh, then, uh, then I, you know, I pray that that Jews keep the Torah, um, which is a beautiful prayer, but a very different prayer. 
<laughs> English and Yiddish. English, English and Yiddish. That's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, right? What, what language does God pray in? Well, that, well, if you follow properly. Uh, okay, so that's a, that's an interesting. Point. Although that only presumes that Jews will get along with other people, because you only said that God prays that Jews should observe the Torah, and He said all kinderlach, which I'm imagining means more than just Jews. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm not. I'm not. I, your prayer is a beautiful prayer. I'm just noting the difference in the prayers. What are, What are some other ideas? Yeah. This is just a joke. <laughs> it's a little. There's a, there's an element of truth in every joke. It's just a little bit of um. Like like apes in a way. Um, please let people listen to me. No, please 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 let people listen to me. Mm. Please please let people acknowledge that I'm here. Oh, good. That's actually that's, so. That's a that's by the way. I think a really um, that's not that doesn't sound to me like a joke at all. Right? The first um, part was a joke, but yeah. then it occurred um, to me. And and um, you know and and uh, um, there's a there's a generality. Generalness in your in your prayer that's I think somewhat different than Abe's, right? Uh, so you let people listen to me, right? And listen doesn't necessarily um, provide a content of the listening, right? What, uh, whether whether you are not making a value judgment about this, right? But uh, um, but you know Abe has something very specific that God wants us to listen to and, and to do, yeah, and to do, right? Um, and uh, and it sounds to me like yours is more more general, right? There's a yeah. Great. That is people follow his laws. So yours is basically the same as Abe's. That uh, the, the Jews should follow the Torah. Okay, God prays that the Jews should follow. I the read Torah. something that God prays for freedom from slavery mm. and his people. Beautiful. God prays for people to be free from slavery. Mm. Larry, I saw that you wrote down something. You want to share? Well, everything I have. <coughs> somebody's already mentioned. I I think the point that's running through my head is we focus so much between considering us and God. And everything I heard is really reflexive in the sense that it's something we would like and we could pray for. I would think that God would, would pray for people to get along and in particular for the Jewish people, to get along with other peoples. Because I think that's one area that has sort of gotten lost in terms of the, the whole approach to prayer, which is that it's between us and God. And the question is, to what extent can prayer help us when it comes to with us and everybody else? What about Joy? She's writing. Yeah. Joy, do you want to share? I, I have the same thing that Abe had, just to follow my words. Okay, so let's hear it in your words. No, that's what I wrote, that God prays for people to follow his words, you know, his commandments. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about what you read earlier this morning, that God prays we join him on the journey. Hmm. God prays for, for us to travel with God, yeah. to walk with God. There's a beautiful passage in, uh, in the book of Genesis that uh, says, Vayitalech et ha'elohim chanoch. Vayitalech chanoch et ha'elohim. That chanoch Enoch walked with God. Right? And so your 
prayer is similar to that, right? God prays that we walk with God, that we journey with God, or that God journeys. Maybe it's a different prayer, right? Not, it's not so much a prayer for us to journey with God, but a prayer for God to journey with us. We journey together. We journey together. Other, uh, other ideas? Thoughts, Ellen? Then again, it's a little bit like yours, that um, we not just that the universe continued to exist, so that we can continue struggle to struggle that he put us in of uh, the um, of the choice between Yetzir Hatov, the inclination to be good, the inclination to be bad, and see how we mix it up and what we do with it. Hmm. So God's prayer, so it's actually in some ways different, right? God's prayer is actually for us to continue the, the, the struggle that we have. Because there's something... But also to be, but to, to, for the universe and people to still exist, not blow each other up. Hmm. But to still exist so we can continue the struggle. There's, um, um, elsewhere in the Gemara it talks about, um, um, how everybody should consider themselves, you know, kind of uh, on, an, on an even scale between good and evil, and uh, um, at, at all times, and sort of knowing that every action you do could tip the scale one way or the other, right? So, um, you know, uh, that uh, um, if I do a mitzvah, right, it'll tip the scale uh, in the direction of of, uh, of of goodness. If I if I do uh, a bad, if I do something bad, right, then it tips the scales in the in the um, so that that you what you have there is uh, sort of I think that tension that you're talking about that there's always um, that maybe God wants there always to be um, a, a tension and a, and a struggle between within ourselves and in our world between good and bad but 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 that the scale should be tipped just a little bit right that that it'll keep on existing right that's how exactly. that's how it keeps exactly. on existing but that there's still there's still some tension if if yeah exactly and if we're in this world and if this is the way it is. I think if there is a God, he must have um, set it up that way. So, um, one of the great um, ideas that uh, um, my teacher, Rabbi Elliot Dorf, (coughs) taught me um, is that uh, when you're trying to understand prayers, it's important to ask yourself a handful of questions. One of those questions is, what is what is the real lived experience that gave rise to that prayer? Right, so just as a, an easy example, right, when you when you offer Misha Berach for someone who's ill, the real lived experience for why you would offer that prayer is because you have someone who's sick that you want to um, send healing for, right? So this is the question that I want to ask you. Now that you've done a little bit of thinking about what you imagine God praying, what is the real lived experience that has led God to write that prayer? Everybody understand the question? What led God to write the prayer that you imagine God is offering? That God that God said, right? So you guys all came up with uh, prayers that God offered. So what's the what's the experience that motivated God to write that prayer to recite that prayer? Well, mine was, I mean, similar to what other people said, let my people listen to me and uh, live proper lives and follow the laws of the Torah. There were so many instances where the people were punished or admonished for not doing some of those or all of those, for not following the laws, for, for not listening. So the, so the experience, I'm just trying to um, pinpoint it, the experience is the, uh, uh, forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, and you can tell me if I am. 
the experience then is um, of people getting uh, in trouble for not observing the commandments, which strikes me as a, a, um, a, a pained response. Right? God is hurt by the fact that the people did what they weren't supposed to do and had to get punished for it. Right, so, you know, there were, I, think, I think there were a lot of instances of, instances of that. Right, but what, what, what's, what, what's what motivates God? Is there an emotion that motivates God in, in what you're saying? I know uh, what motivates God. What motivates God is that he recognized that without the laws that he lays down, there can be no, there can be no society worth its weight in gold. Okay. Okay, so what's the emotion? <coughs> well, the, the, emotion, the emotion is his recognition of the fact that there has to be law and that he has told the people what the law should be. Right, but the, so that's not an emotion. That's a, that's, a, that's a rational thought. That's, all right, so what's the, is there an emotion that goes with that rational of course, thought? Of course there's an emotion. His recognition. The recognition is not an emotion. Well, there is. Of course hurt. it is. Hurt. Hurt. Okay. There was anger. Angry. Okay. So, so that's what I want to get to. What's the emo- so? Is it hurt? Is it anger? Is it is it, is it pain? Is it frustration? Is it happiness? Is it joy? Is it self? Right. So those are emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, recognition is an important thing to do, but it is not a feeling. Well, yeah. I, I disagree, but. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I Acceptance is that? I think when you when you when you when you recognize something mm-hmm. and and recognize that the issue is to follow those laws, that is emotion. Am I am I am I off base? Am I totally off base? To, uh, well, does God have an ego? I think a pretty big one. He's a boss. The bigger the God, the bigger the, the bigger the God, the bigger the ego. Um, so I just want to, uh, just in the interest of time, I want these are beautiful ideas, and and, and so what, I, what what the reason I'm pushing you, Ralph, is uh, is um, is that because um, you have an agenda. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that I have an agenda. It's uh, it's it's that I think that uh, that um, our our deepest our human. This is where it goes back to what you're saying, right? This is you know, some of this is projection, right? Of uh, of what we humans do or say or feel back onto God. Um, but uh, but but I think that the that the essence of human prayer originates in emotion, right? Um, so we are sad that a loved one is sick. We are happy that it's a holiday. We are celebrating that uh, that we've. Uh, pass through illness ourselves, right? Um, we are frustrated that uh, we can't find work, right? Those are those are emotions, um, and I think that that's really the 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 source. You know, it, it, we may not feel those emotions when we read the prayers out of the prayer book, but my if I had to um, if I had to bet a million dollars, I would bet that every single one of those prayers was written by somebody who had an emotion that led them to writing it. Um, and that's Rabbi Dorf's insight that I, that I think is really worth thinking about is when you encounter a prayer in the Siddur, think about what's the emotion that would have led a person to write this prayer? What experience do you think they had that led them to write it? Yeah, Larry? Well, when you put it in those terms, but the point what I wanted to do was um, raise the, I don't know how to say this, but 
uh, regular prayer as opposed to prayer which is triggered by some emotional need. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what do we get from regular prayer? Well, you know you're going to come in in the morning and you're going to pray. Or you're going to get up and pray. <coughs> oh. And that's different from praying because somebody's sick, uh, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. Also an excellent question and an excellent point. I mean, the, these may be maybe two different kinds of prayer they may be conflated at times for people they may be separated at times for people they may you know there may be moments of the first kind of prayer interspersed in the second kind of prayer right or vice versa yeah um. actually that was interesting um i i think that well well when we come to services sure but when the people wrote the, those prayers that are in the prayer book i think they were filled with um Emotion, and that's why they. Sure, each one reflects an emotion. And, I, and, I, and actually, I, I'm, there's some truth to that. But the rabbis themselves are struggling with what is prayer. <coughs> Sacrifice sure. is gone. Sure. But even before it was still there, people weren't finding it fulfilling. So they were trying to look for some substitute that would reach the people more. Sure, and 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 I also want to point out that so we're going to. I think what, that gets back to the original question: Why would they even ask? What God is God? Why would they yeah. search for this mm-hmm. unless they're trying to really justify prayer? Yeah, well, absolutely. That What's that? That's interesting. Another question or a follow-up to yours is: It's going to take way too long. Why do you pray? Mm. E- e- even if you don't pray because somebody's sick or there's a direct emotion attached to that particular mm-hmm. prayer, you're still getting up every day praying. You're still saying the words, whether you're connecting that day or not, whether you're connecting more on a Wednesday and less tomorrow. You're still saying. It. So what emotion are you really getting out of it, even though you're not praying for money or sickness or something, mm-hmm. you're still praying? Right. And why, why are you doing it? So it's an excellent question. One we've been uh, um, uh, talking about on, you know, on and off of the past. No, no, no. For the past few, it's a great, it's a deep question. Um, and Rabbi Kiefer's also been uh, talking about the question too. So, and I want to share what the Gemara's answer is of, of God's prayer. But it's worth noting, right, that uh, that this is a a stylized. Prayers is what does God pray? It doesn't say, well, when God's angry, God plays, prays this, and when God's sad, God prays this, and when God's happy, God prays this. It has one prayer. So it's like it's, it's as if God gets up every morning and davens, and this is what God davens every day, right? This is the regular prayer. This is the siddur that God uses, right? Is, is almost like what the Gemara is saying here, because they just offer one thing, right? So here's what it says My matzai, so what is his prayer? Amarav Zutra Bartuvia, Amarav. So Rav Zutra, the son of Tuvia, said in the name of Rav, Yehi Ratzom Milfanai. This is amazing, right? That uh, um, who does God pray to? God prays to Himself, right? No. Um, so because uh, who else is God going to pray to? Um, but usually, right, we have this formulation in our prayer. We say Yehi Ratzom Milfanacha, right? May it be Your will. Right? Or uh, may it be the will before you, right? May it be your will. God says, may it be my will. He wrote some milfanai. May it be my will. Sheikh beshu rachami et kaasi. May it be my will that my compassion overcomes my anger. That's God's prayer. May my compassion overcome, may my compassion conquer my anger. I like it. Ve'igolu rachami al midotiv et naheg im b'ni b'midat rachamim, 
And so may, may compassion uh, uh, transcend all of my other virtues so that I may guide my, so that, so that I may be made to guide my children with compassion. And that I can, um, and that I can go beyond the letter of the law, the strict dictates of the law in dealing with them. It sort of sums up the Torah. Hmm. Why do you say that? Well, if you, you look for God in the Torah, you're going to find either compassion or anger. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, and and uh, and and the I think you're right. I mean, I think the thrust of the Torah and of the of the Hebrew Bible is that um, God's um, God's compassion is ultimately what wins out, right? So God dis- so God uh, God's really angry at the golden calf. Moses prays to God for the people, and God says, right? I, uh, uh, God says that I have forgiven according to your words, right? The God, uh, according to the biblical account, causes the Babylonians to destroy the temple, and then has uh, the prophet say, "Nachamu, nachamu, ami yomar Right, that uh, my people take comfort. Your God says, "Take comfort, um, because redemption is coming, and uh, ultimately God's not going to stay angry forever." Right. So this is a, a major thrust of the of the Bible. Huh? Actually, what, when I said that the universe that not that continued to exist so that um, people can continue their struggle, I was actually thinking that. Um, God has gotten so angry sometimes in the Bible and wanted to destroy the universe that God also, um, <coughs> that's why God would, um, I forget, God would pray that the universe would exist because he has his own struggle sometimes with the rage he feels in wanting to destroy the universe. Yeah, right. Um, you know, this is just, the, the, the Gemara says elsewhere that, um, that God uh, initially cre- wanted to create a world entirely using the, the, the virtue of deen, of strict law. And he realized, there's, a, there's, a, there's an idea that there were many worlds before there was this world. And the one world was created strictly with the virtues of law. And he realized that the world couldn't exist strictly by virtues of law, um, uh, because uh, because the world needs compassion, right? The world needs uh, um, uh, love as well, right? The world needs to sometimes be treated um, with with more of a benefit of the doubt than than we necessarily deserve. And this, after all, I think is um, is you know this is a, a perfect thing that we we hope God is praying when we're standing in prayer for several days on end in the high holidays. This is the prayer that we hope God is praying. We hope God is praying, let my compassion overcome my anger. Because we know, we say it when we stand in, in the high holidays, that we're not worthy to stand. If God really took an accounting of all of our deeds, we probably wouldn't stack up. Right? And yet, right, when we stand on Kol Nidre, the very beginning of Kol Nidre, we say, right? God says that I have forgiven you. Right? At the very beginning of Yom Kippur, right? You don't even, this is a dirty little secret, you don't even need to come the rest of the day, right? Kol you're already forgiven, right? Because our belief is that God prays this prayer. That God prays that God's compassion will overcome God's anger. It's an amazing idea to think about, but also an amazing thing to think about, what, you know, what's, what, what is the emotion or the experience that would have led God to write a prayer like this, or to say a prayer like this, right? 
Um, and, uh, and, and also, right, to, as just sort of uh, now projecting it back onto humans, what would it mean, you know, for, for our own lives, um, you know, for, for our own, for those of us uh, like me who, who can from time to time have a, have a hot temper, right, what it, would it mean to say this prayer as, a, as an anger management tool? Um, let my let my compassion overcome my rage. Um, let my uh, ability to see the good in people, even when they're bothering me, right? Even when they did something bad to me, right? My ability to 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 judge people to their merit. Let my ability to do that overcome my uh, my my tendency to uh, to to judge and convict quickly. So I'll leave us with that thought. I'll leave us to think about what God's prayer would be and to think of what our prayers would be in response to God. Have a great day.